We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Delato. Tonight we're here doing a live mailbag show. So bear with me. I'm going to give people a little bit time to get in. I tweeted out the link. I think Nick is about to tweet out the link himself. We want to let some people get in here before we start rolling with this. It's our first ever live mailbag. We'll be on here for about an hour tonight until about 7.20. We had a lot of... Hold on. What's up, Dan? Sorry, guys. A little bit of technical difficulty. I had the uh, mailbag rolling live somewhere else, and we didn't turn off the sound. But we're good. We're back, and we're talking Giants football. And look, we've got an hour tonight. We haven't done a mailbag in a long time, Nick, so I don't know about your DMs and your replies, but I was flooded with questions. And the reality of the situation is we're not going to be able to get to all of these questions in an hour tonight. So we will do a second part of the mailbag tomorrow. It may or may not be a live show. This one is definitely, obviously, as you can tell, a live show. I want to make one thing clear before we get started on the questions here tonight, and we're going to let more people come in. There's only 20 people here currently. Uh, we've had about 350 to 400 on the live shows after the game, so hopefully we can let some people get in. I'll tweet the link again, but I want to make one thing clear as far as these shows go for tonight and moving forward. If you do use the Super Chat function and donate to our cause within this chat while watching the live show, and put a question in that while using the super fat fu- uh, chat function. Your question will be moved to the top of the list and answered first, almost uh, in the same way that Larry Davis was hoping Richard Lewis's kidney would be moved <laughs> to the top of the list when he met with Mr. Heineman at that Jewish diner, but in curb your enthusiasm. But unfortunately, little did he know, a little ski lift mishap with the Orthodox Jewish daughter of Mr. Heineman led to. A disaster for Larry, as Richard Lewis was not, in fact, moved up the kidney list. But your question will be moved up the list to number one. So if you use the Super Chat function, you ask us a question. This is now and moving forward. We'll treat it as a donation to our show and to our cause and to our efforts and keeping us alive and letting us keep the lights on, uh, as some people say. And your question will be moved to the top. So the best way to get your question answered is by using the Super Chat function and asking a question via that. But we will first start by answering all of the questions that were sent into us prior to tonight. And we will go there until we get a question from the Super Chat. So thank you for those tuning in. I'm letting more people trickle in. We're up to a decent number, not where I want to be. But I'll tweet out again. Nick, you tweet as well. But while we do that, Nick, let's get to the first question of tonight's mailbag. And the first question of tonight's mailbag is from Yankee Mandela. He asks, Nick and Dan, what's your opinion on our current draft process? 
And what would you like to see change moving forward? It's a great question. It is a great question. And I think both drafts, you have to kind of look at them differently because the first draft, it was their first draft, but they were also operating with a lot of scouts that were not in the second draft, a lot of Dave Gettleman scouts. And we talked about that a lot. It seemed like it was more of a high upside type of guy. Hey, let's just bet on traits, bet on young players, and we'll attempt to develop them. And then now in this draft, a little bit different. I remain high on John Michael Schmitz and Jalen Hyde. I hope they use them a little bit better. I still think it's early to really answer this question, but for the sake of a mailbag, I want to see them develop. That's what I want to see. I want to see them develop specifically Evan Neal and that first Joe Shane class because we're not getting a huge impact from them. Not even Kayvon Thibodeau, unfortunately. Kayvon Thibodeau, look, he has four sacks. He matched his sack total from last year. But I'm not watching him being like, wow, this is a difference maker. This is a top five pick. I'm watching Kayvon Thibodeau and I'm like, hey, there's a good play there. Don't see him for a little while. Hey, he's hustling. I'd like to see him do this. I'd like to see him develop a pass rushing repertoire. I'd like to see him shed that block from a tight end. I would like to see him not get uprooted or sealed away from his run responsibility. I still want to see more. So it really just comes down to development, but it's still young. We're not even in a season and a half into these players' careers. Yeah, I think that was a great answer, Nick. I think for me, Yankee Mandela and anyone listening, this is always a tougher question to ask because I don't like to really judge the results of a draft class until three years after. And we're not even three years into the first Joe Shane draft class. Having said that, I also want to mention the Cowboys, who under Will McClay have been probably one of the best scouting teams in the NFL, especially in the trenches where they continue to dominate on both lines of the ball had both Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau as their number one and number two prospects in that draft class. So I just want to keep that in mind. They ultimately landed on Tyler Smith because they didn't have the first or second pick or the fifth or seventh, and it worked out for them. But they did have Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau as their one and two prospects on their leaked draft board. So it's like, this is my issue. I'm wondering how much is the results based on the development and the coaching and the situation. And all these different factors that are coming into play that are out of Joe Shane's control, quite frankly. I will say this, though, however, if you're asking me for things I'd like to see change moving forward, I'd like to see a little bit less of a focus on what can help the scheme now. For example, the Wandell Robinson pick. They viewed it as, this guy can come right in, right away, play a specific role for us. It's going to help us move the change and, more importantly, have layup-type options. In doing so, they passed on George Pickens, who is a true alpha X wide receiver with much better film than Wondell Robinson, doing things on tape at Georgia that Wondell Robinson quite quite frankly physically cannot do and physically cannot do for an offense. He will not be your X. He will never get coverage shifted his way as a lone X. He will not block the way George Pickens blocks. He will not make the contested catches Pickens block. He will not get open on the vertical plane like Pickens block uh, can. And he's just not nearly the same kind of upside and never was the same kind of upside as a George Pickens. So that may be one example. Another example might be when you're drafting offensive linemen, maybe the focus should start to be, Nick, on other traits because I'm not exactly so sure the focus on you know, let's take a look at the traits that Evan Neal has. Let's take a look at the traits that maybe John Michael Schmitz has, though I don't think he would fit into the bill I'm about to say, and Josh Azudu has. Let's just look at Josh Azudu and Evan Neal for now. Do either of them in your mind, Nick, have amazing footwork or, you know, very good footwork? Or did they have that coming in? That would be my question. I think their feet are different. I think Josh Azudu are is very, very light on his feet which is excellent when you're over 300 pounds. It's one of the first things any scout or evaluator is going to look yeah. at is how are his feet. But he has weird footwork when he is pass setting as a tackle specifically. But when you look at his foot speed, he can just get out of his stance and he can move. 
but it's it, it's when he is in that pass set, when he's setting to an angle, whether it be a vertical set, that back foot, there's just something wonky with it. But in terms of his foot speed and his length, it is there. Evan Neal is a little bit different. Evan Neal doesn't necessarily have wonky footwork. He fi- When he fires out of that stance, he can generate solid explosiveness. And I think we saw that a little bit on display last game, but he's not as fleet of foot like a, jo- like a Josh Azudu. So I think it's it's different when you evaluate both Azudu and Evan Neal. Their, fo- their footwork isn't perfect, but for different reasons. You, you cut out, Dan. Yeah. Just gonna say agreed on all of that uh that you just said. Well, I was definitely not trying to compare their two footwork, but maybe I'm more so looking at like what can we look at for these offensive linemen that can help transition them quicker to the NFL level from a pass protection standpoint. I see some of the best, you know, quicker the quicker transitioning type of interior uh lineman, Tyler Smith, Charles Cross before the injury. They all kind of remind me of a very similar style of a very tight, not not as like uh it's hard to explain how what I'm trying to get at here, Nick, but always keeping the defender in front of them, always being able to re-anchor, always basically being able to recover in a lot of ways that I don't see Evan Neal recovering in or Josh Azudo recovering in, for example, um, on a lot of the reps I've seen them in pass direction. Obviously, Azudo, I don't want to judge too much at tackle either because just he's not a tackle and he shouldn't be playing at tackle, but he's forced to. But I'm just looking into different ways that maybe Joe Shane can go change or alter his draft process to kind of come away with more results early but even in doing so, Nick, I recognize the pitfalls of trying to prioritize early production from draft results and not focusing as much on long-term production. Good example of that, Cordell Flott, until last week, most people would be like, what about this bust pick by Joe Shane? He looked pretty good last week, and maybe it's going to take him a little bit of time to develop, and maybe we should give more time to the rest of these players to develop as well. I also think they're looking at specific character traits as well. And I know that can just be a, like beating a dead horse. We've been talking about that through regimes. but at the wide receiver position, you need to, and I'm not saying George Pickens doesn't have this. I honestly don't know, but you need to know where to be, when to be there in this. You have to be smart to play wide receiver in a Brian Dable system. We've just heard so many veteran wide receivers say as much. So I'm going to take them at their word, but damn, we have a question here. Super chat. Thank you so much, Chris Carter. After watching Daniel Jones for four plus years and all the pros and cons, what are your three to five most important skills for a quarterback? Thank you so much, Chris Carter. Yeah, Chris Carter, thank you so much for donating to the cause, especially a big donation. We really do appreciate it. This is a great, great question, Chris Carter. I think this is probably the best question we might get asked from, in my opinion, just an overall importance factor of where this franchise and every franchise is moving forward. I'll say this, Nick, as I study more, as I learn more about the position, I become clearer and clearer in my thought process that the two most important traits for a quarterback are one, how often can he throw the anticipation? How often can he throw the receiver into open space rather than wait for him? How often is he able to anticipate where those openings are going to be? And then two, post-snap processing. Is he understanding of where the space on the field is going to be? Is he tricked easily by post-snap rotations or defensive backs who do things before the snap that bait the quarterback into making poor decisions. I watched a snap of Bryce Young today, and I watched a snap of CJ Stroud today. That couldn't have been the more polar opposites. The Bryce Young snap, he caught the football. The helmet stripe goes directly to the left. There's a cornerback before the snap who's using the same type of coverage we see a lot against Daniel Jones with his uh, back and butt to the sideline in the technique that's clearly, you know, sitting, trap, waiting, yeah. trap technique. And Bryce Young stares that air, that receiver down to that side the entire time, throws right into it, intercepted. Then I watched C.J. Stroud 
who uses the stripe of his helmet to hold, hold, hold the coverage in the middle of the field before snapping back and throwing the pass to a touchdown to Dalton Schultz. It would have been a game winner. It was 154 left in the fourth quarter. To me, the difference there is just how these quarterbacks are using their eyes, how they're understanding anticipation. I think both JT O'Sullivan, the quarterback school, you can check out his work. I think he does a great job breaking this down um, today in his Brock Purdy analysis. And then obviously Kirk Benford. Uh, Kurt, how do you pronounce that guy's last name? Kurt what? Um, I think Benford, right? Benford, ben I Kurt. think. Ben Kurt, you're, you're messing me up right now. I think it's Ben Kurt. Yeah, I think it's Ben Kurt. Kurt Ben Kurt also did a good analysis of Brock Purdy. And you could just see, as JT O'Sullivan said, Brock Purdy is playing with world-class anticipation right now. World-class anticipatory throwing. So why is it any surprise then that the player playing with world-class anticipatory throwing is also the one having the best season by EPA by far at quarterback right now. You could say, oh, my God, he's got the O-line, he's got the weapons, got Shannon. He does have all that. But guess what? No one's maximized the system the way Brock Purdy is maximizing right now. No one's come, quite frankly, even close. If you look at some of the EPA numbers and just general numbers of offense under, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and all those past quarterbacks who played within that system. Um, he's basically putting up Matt Ryan MVP level numbers or better from the 2016 Falcons season. And Matt Ryan had Julio Jones that year. Um, so I'm looking at those two things, Nick. I'm also looking at, so one, two, I'm looking at pocket presence and pocket manipulation. That's a huge one for me. That's probably number three. I would say, um, are you calm in the pocket? Do you panic from pockets? Do you reset pockets? Do you slide in pockets? Do you understand where areas of space are going to be for you to get a new launching point from within the pocket? That would be three for me. Four for me is definitely arm talent. Arm talent to me is not arm strength. I want to make that clear. I had a discussion with this on Trent Dilfer, who actually, uh, with Trent Dilfer, who, uh, you know, in the 2018s, this was years ago, but the discussion with Trent Dilfer, who in his mind, Nick, I don't know if this is true, and I've told you this before, but he, he believes he created the arm talent term. Um, he said it wasn't being used until he started talking about it, whatever. But what he means by arm talent, what I mean by arm talent is not pure raw arm strength like a Jamarcus Russell. It is the following. It's the ability to change your arm slot, throw from different angles, throw with different trajectories, throw with different velocities based on where the pass needs to be. So arm talent for me is probably number four. And he said three to five traits. So we went from throwing with anticipation, anticipatory throwing, post-snap processing, understanding space. I like how you described the other day, Nick, as do the math in your head. Know what based on based on your pre and post snap rotations where the space is going to be. Um, the third would be uh, pocket pocket presence and manipulation. The fourth would be arm talent alone. I don't let me think if I have a fifth, Nick. Um, I think I mean for me those are the ones and like you know because all of those combined are what lead to the whole shot, the backside digs, the throws that change games. So I would say those are my big four. What about you? Those are my big four as well. I'm not going to be redundant, but just challenge every inch of the field. Make the defense defend every blade of grass. That's very important to opening up the playbook just in general. So I wanted to mention that. And Chris Perry, thank you so much. Another super chat. Thank you. Could you, by the way, cute dog, could you mute, could you move Pew to right tackle and Neil to guard just to even see how Neil does there? Look, Justin Pugh hasn't played right tackle since 2019, where he played 123 snaps there. He was adequate as a right tackle for the Giants, ended up bumping inside to, to guard throughout his career. He's more naturally a guard right now. He's, what, 33, 34 years old. If you're going to play him coming off of a torn ACL, especially with the current state of the Giants' interior offensive line, you want him to succeed at guard. You want Evan Neal to succeed at tackle. Now, if he keeps just blundering 
all over the place, yeah, you're going to have to substitute him. I don't know if Justin Pugh is that answer, though. I don't know who that answer is because it doesn't seem like it's a Josh Azudu, and the Giants are doing everything in their power to not put Matt Parrott out there. So you got to ride and die with Evan Neal right now. That's the unfortunate situation. You spent the seventh overall pick on him. We can look at all the plays except for him not getting the miscommunication or him the miscommunication that led to the sack on the third and seven and that last drive with Tyrod in there. In there, He looked better. Right, Dan? He looked better, I think we could say. So hopefully he uses that and we start to see some progression. It's just hard to develop and progress with this current state of the offensive line. It's right. tragically bad. So no, I just want Pew to be at guard. And I think he he might get the practice squad call this week, man. That's interesting. Chris, thank you so much for the donation. Cute dog as well. Kind of looks a little bit like Phoenix to me, which shows how naive I am about dogs because Nick will probably be like, that's nothing like Phoenix. No, no, he has the same same kind of face. Chris, if you could put in the chat what type of dog that yeah. is. Does Let he have any Boston, Boston Terrier or Bulldog in him? Um, as far as the question goes, Chris, it's funny. I think Nick's breakdown is probably the smart analysis on this, but I do sometimes think about it, Nick, like, just from like the basic, you know, caveman mindset of what it looks like on film or what not even on film. Let's say what it looks like on broadcast when you just look at it. It looks almost like the current guys that they're trotting out on the offense line are just so insanely incompetent at tackle at times. And I always think like Justin Pugh, if you threw him out there at any position, including left and right tackle, there's such a level of competence he would bring to the position, I feel like. Same thing goes for like a Lyle Collins type, a level of competence that he could bring out there that just it wouldn't look like those snaps where you just get immediately beat around the edge or, you know, you're just so slow footed and you're just so slow off the snap, which sometimes seems to happen to both Neil and Azudu at the tackle position. So I guess I'm less against it, though. I do agree that um, the best case scenario is to put him inside at guard. And yeah, I guess that that's where I'm at with it, Nick. I would love for you to be correct, man. I, I really would. But we got another super chat, so I want to say thank you once again. This is from Jake. Guys, I have been loving the pod for years now. Keep it up. Would you agree that it's in our best interest to embrace the tank and do a proper rebuild at this point? Fire sale incoming, in my opinion. Thanks. I don't necessarily agree with that from an organizational standpoint. I think embracing a rebuild, that's usually when that happens, it's like tear everything apart. You got to fire Joe Shane and you got to fire... As fans, though, that's a little bit different. I'm not going to tell someone how to root for their respective team. If you want to embrace a rebuild and you want to tank for Caleb Williams to have a much brighter future, that's all on you, man. Go ahead and do that. And more power to you. I cover this football team professionally. I want this football team to do well because it's so much more fun to cover the football team. But if they're not going to do well, a great consolation prize is having a high draft pick. And Dan and I have had the pleasure of experiencing that together, what, four out of five years? So that's probably um, my answer right there. Um, if, if they suck, man, tank for uh, Caleb. But I, I don't think from an organizational standpoint, the Giants are going to have interest in doing that. Yeah, thank you for the question, Jake. And more importantly, thank you for the donation in the Super Chat. I would say this, Dable was asked kind of a question today about you know where they're at from a rebuild standpoint. And he just kind of laughed it off and looked at it like, that, like disgusted. I just think, look, the job that these guys do, and by these guys, I mean the coaches and the players on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis over the course of the season, cannot be summed up or kind of pushed out into more of the 30,000-foot view that you're asking here, Jake, which is, you know, tank a season because there's a prospect like Caleb Williams in the draft class. I'll say this, Jake, when you ask, is it potentially in our best interest to embrace the tank and properly rebuild? The answer to that question might be yes, despite the fact that I know in my heart it'll never happen. And I don't know if it should happen. I think you set, 
that's something I think you set a bad example by by tanking. And there is no such thing like tanking can be in a number of things. Like you would start by being just a fire sale type of deadline where they get rid of McKinney, Leonard Williams, Saquon Barkley, every piece that's not re-signed through the end of the season. That's the start of what would be considered, you know, a tank. But then you have to do other things to tank. Like you would have to like consider playing Tommy DeVito and being like, we need to see if he's worth the QB two. Like those are the real lean into the tank type moves. And you know that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. And and I don't even know. It would be a bit embarrassing to do that. I will say this. The one area where me and Nick have always differed to some degree is I know that if this season gets mathematically, if the Giants are out of contention mathematically, I will be rooting for them to win on a week-to-week basis. I can't do anything else, but I will know in my heart of heart every win is bad for them. And I will also say this. If they go one and six or whatever it is, and then they lose the game to, is the is the first game after Bills the Jets? It'll be one and five. Who's the first game after the Bills? Washington. Jets or Washington. They lose that Washington game to go to one and six. I will probably be in the camp of the best. I'm not going to root for it, but I will know in my heart of hearts that the best yeah. case scenario will actually be for the Giants to lose all of their remaining games, as crazy as it sounds, because it means Caleb Williams is now on the roster. And for those who you know don't want to hear it, if the Giants have the first pick, they will draft Caleb Williams. That is a lock. I will guarantee it. If they don't do that, I will be willing to say that Joe Shane is not the GM of the future. And Joe Shane has made one of the worst decisions in the history of the Giants franchise, one that will hurt them for years to come. You may say, how can you say that you haven't seen Caleb Williams play a snap? I don't care. I do not care. I know what what different level prospects look like at the quarterback position. And I know that Daniel Jones, even if he reaches his ceiling of all ceilings, will never have the ceiling of Caleb Williams. I don't think his ceiling even reaches 70% of what Caleb Williams can do on a football field. So I just want to be clear that I will never root for the tank. I don't think a tank is realistic. I don't think any team will ever do it. I will never root for the Giants to lose football games. But I will know in my heart of hearts that if they are out of playoff contention mathematically, the best thing that can happen for this franchise will be losing football games, unfortunately. We don't differ with that okay, okay. at all, then. Yeah, no, I I understand yeah. that, especially when you have a generational talent. Now, if it's like Kenny Pickett is your top right. quarterback right. that you're trying, maybe not as much, but easily with with someone like an Andrew Luck or Trevor Lawrence or a or a Caleb Williams. D-Kit, our guy D-Kit, thank you so much. He says, I'm in a dark place with this team right now. Nevertheless, can you give us your thoughts on the quality of the roster overall? Where are our, re- our real strengths? Great question, D-Kit. And unfortunately, it's another dark question to answer. The last one was dark. You know you never want to go down that path of thinking tank, of talking tank, of having to talk about quarterback position when you just re-signed a quarterback. But the reality is we had to do it, and we have to answer these questions honestly. And as far as what D-Kit is asking here, Nick, it's a scary question because some of the areas we thought were strengths going into the season, Nick, no longer look like strengths. Let's start with the defensive line. That was supposed to be the strength of all strengths. I think Dexter Lawrence has been just as good, if not better, but he's dealing with more double teams this year, something that hasn't happened. It happened at times last year, but it feels like it's happening even more this year early on. What should that mean? It should mean a breakout for Leonard Williams. It hasn't meant a breakout for Leonard Williams. I know Leonard Williams somehow is leading the NFL in ESPN's pass win rate, which I think goes to show me, at least, Nick, that I have a lot of questions about ESPN's pass win rate metric because I don't think it's translating to the film. I don't think it's translating to what actually matters. And yes, we both agreed on last podcast, Nick, before you say it, that he has been getting close, Leonard Williams, but getting close in this regard has not impacted football games and has not helped the Giants win football games. I was expecting to see a dominant player playing next to a double team Dexter Lawrence. So let me start by saying that Kayvon Thibodeau, Nick brought it up earlier. 
There's been four sacks, but he hasn't looked like the dominant player we hoped he could be out of tape. And then Aziz Ojolari just hasn't played a lot of snaps. So those are your big four right there. Ashawn Robinson was also supposed to help be a strength of this defense, a nice rotational piece, an $8 million per year player, according to Joe Shane. Has not been that at all. Played what, three snaps last three week snaps. or eight snaps? I mean, come on. Nacho, Nunez Rochez has had some decent snaps. Doesn't play a lot. Doesn't make that much of an impact either. So strengths of the team, Nick, uh, I, I, I say I, we look at core players. Let's look yeah. at core players that we want to grow with. We said in the beginning of the season, maybe Xavier McKinney is a core player. I'm not so sold on that right now. And I don't even think he's playing terribly. He might be coming off his best game, even though he took a terrible angle against Devon Achan. But you have Dexter Lawrence, Deontay Banks. You're hoping Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be that. I'm going to include him in that, but we still need to yeah. see some signs of development. You want Evan Neal to be into that, right? Second, ten, top 10 pick in his second season, not playing nearly close to that. Andrew Thomas, we don't know the longevity of Saquon Barkley. So who else other than those Aziz. players that I just named and John Michael Schmitz, you hope Aziz Ojolari. I want to put him in there. But with the injuries, man, and I know we don't love to just assign people as injury prone, but this guy, it's even it's, I'm struggling with it. And, you know, I hate injury prone. Tags. I know. Even I know. I'm struggling with it right now. He's been injured so much. So you're talking about Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, which is kind of a reach. Saquon Barkley might be gone, so you can't include him. Andrew Thomas, Deontay Banks, John Michael Schmitz. It's not that many. And then you're hoping like the Cordell Flots can play like a good role and be Darnay Holmes plus. But that's who we're talking about in terms of the young players right now. Micah McFadden, Daniel Bellinger, we like those players, but are they going to make sense? Isaiah contracts? Simmons is one for me, but more Isaiah in the is... slot range, more in the slot range. And it's a little bit difficult to, to weigh that, D-Kit and Dan, yeah. just because we don't know if he's going to be here next year. We don't know how the Giants value him or what he will garner on the open market. I think this is the perfect system for him. He has not disappointed me, but I also believe he is a bit player. He is not a player that you necessarily want out there on first down and in running downs. He's going to be out there in nickel and big nickel and dime and right. dollar and, and quarter and all of those packages. Giants didn't run at one base personnel snap last week. Now it's because of the speed of Miami, but that's another reason why we saw so much Simmons other than the fact that Michael McFadden was there. So there's not as many core pieces on this roster right now. And Daniel Jones, you got to throw him in there more so because of the contract. But like you said, if the Giants do suck and they get a top two pick, you know Joe Shane, or at least I think and we hope Joe Shane would consider Caleb Williams and Drake May in that scenario. So how um how much is Daniel Jones a core player going into the future? I, I think that's still somewhat up for debate. Yeah, and I think there's secondary like options that you mentioned. A couple of them, Flot Simmons. I would put Jalen Hyatt in that mix, still yes. a, a potential yes. solution. I personally would still put Isaiah Hodgins in that mix. I like what I've seen from Hodgins. In my mind, so in my mind, part I don't really have much blame for the receivers so far in this season, with the exception of the drops. I think, look, when you have an offensive line this bad, it's hard to be good as a receiver. And I think, to be quite frank, the quarterback isn't really throwing these receivers open ever with anticipation. And he's not really putting a lot of 50-50 balls out there. I just watched Desmond Ritter throw for 300-plus, Nick. And I got to say, man, Desmond Ritter didn't even look that good. But you know one thing he did, dude? He consistently put the ball out there for his receivers to make plays in 50-50 situations. And Arthur Smith did a great job, in my opinion, of doing things that I feel like Brian Dable and Mike Kafka should be doing more of, which is two-man routes on one side of the formation that are both vertically-oriented routes that create a natural space within a zone. The problem is... They were facing a lot of too high stuff and the Giants don't face any too high stuff because nobody plays Daniel Jones with any kind of respect to play too high.
high. They play every player around the line of scrimmage and one high safety who's not even that high. So it even is hard to even imagine how Dable and Kafka would even do that, given the limitations of the offense line of the quarterback. So look. I'm not ready to turn the page on these receivers yet. I think all of the receivers would be doing better if the situation on the offensive line and at quarterback was better. Um, so that's where I'm at. I still have some hope for Hodgins. I still have some hope for Hyatt. Uh, even Slayton to me can be a potential solution. Wandale. To some degree. And Wandale to some degree. Both of those two to some degree. And Jake Bellinger. Comes, you can yeah, throw more of yeah. those guys in there as well. Yep. Jake comes back. So you don't think we should tank. Give me one positional group that we don't have any problems with. I'm proposing that the head coach and GM stay, by the way. Jake, it's not that I don't think we should tank. I just don't think it's something that the Giants are going to consider. Like Joe Shane and Brian Dable aren't going to go into some sort of back room right. and conspire to tank. That doesn't happen in the NFL. That's just not going to happen. So I just want to live in the real world right now and, and discuss actual options. And go, go on, man. Well, I was going to say, and thank you, Jake, for donating yes. again and for the question again. It's not that we don't think your idea is, is has val validity to and it. I love just, the picture, by the way, Jake. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of like, this doesn't really happen in the NFL. And if it does, you get like, you lose draft picks and shit for it. Remember when Dolphins like got caught tanking? You got to really keep, if you're going to do it, you got to really make it seem like you're not these days because the NFL is coming down. And I just don't think the Giants are an organization that would ever do it anyway. No, neither do I. And it's also just interesting because you just gave a $40 million a year contract to yeah. a young quarterback. So it, there's a lot. Jay Ferris, thank you so much for the donation. He says, guys, is it one or two pick or bust generational quarterback or else? I think we spend major money on free agent offensive linemen. We got to put guys on IR to tank just reality. Yeah. So he also wants the tank. Hey, I understand the frustration and I would all, I would be for that forward thinking mindset. Like the giants did that back in the day when Josh judge was here, for instance, and ended up securing the first overall pick. And there was a generational talent that would have been excellent, but the giants are not going to do that right now with this head coach, with this general manager, with this roster. It's just not going to happen in my opinion. Now they might just lose all those games because their offensive line sucks and all their quarterbacks end up getting injured. Maybe that's plausible, but I don't believe it's going to be deliberate. That's just not something that these professional coaches and general managers aspire to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit-style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. To exercise and recover at your best, you need quality sleep. And to achieve quality sleep, the right mattress matters. Mattress Firm will help you find the right mattress for restful and restorative sleep with their wide selection of high-quality mattresses from top brands at every price point. Quality sleep on the right mattress means improving your overall performance both in and out of gameplay. And with Mattress Firm's low price guarantee, you can rest easy. See a lower price? Mattress Firm will match it. Plus, try it for 120 nights to make sure it's right for you 
or your money back. To start feeling and performing at your best, find your mattress at the early holiday savings event at your local mattress firm store or online. We are brought to you today by Manscaped, who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE for 20% off plus free shipping. And for all my wolf men out there, yo, shout out. If you got a little bit more scruff on your face, Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs and is very annoying to organize. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGBLUE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGBLUE. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. And to, wait, can you throw that question back up real quick? And Jay Ferries, thank you again for the big donation. We really appreciate it. To answer the other two parts of your question, I'll start with the back end. I, you say, I think we're going to spend major money on a free agent O-lineman. I would love it, Jay Ferries, but I don't know if you've taken the time yet to look into the free agent crop at O-line. It looks atrocious. It looks downright atrocious. People are trying to talk me into Robert Hunt, who has like an occasional fun snap with the Dolphins, but not great film from what I've heard overall. He may be the best option. That's an interior guy. We are seeing the days of a Brandon Sheriff hitting the free agent market may be over in the NFL. There is an offensive line shortage around the NFL. Field Yates did a great job reporting on this earlier this offseason. Before anyone noticed, in the end of August, he talked about it. He talked to GMs. He talked to coaches around the NFL. There's an offensive line shortage league-wide, worse than it's ever been. What is that going to lead to? Good, young, not injured offensive linemen never hitting free agency. The Giants are in a lot of trouble when it comes to this offensive line right now, if we're going to be completely honest, because free agency, I would love to spend on a young guy. If there's a Brandon Sheriff, I'd be the one banging the table right now to say, give him any money he wants. I don't care. Get him in here. But I don't know if there's a Brandon Sheriff. I don't know if I want to overspend on a Robert Hunt. So that's an issue for me. As far as your other part, Nick, do you want to say something before I get into the other part? I was just going to say macro. If you want to look at it from a macro perspective, this is one reason why Dan and I are like throw whatever offensive line coach, the best offensive line coach you can get that you can pry away yes. from anybody else, anybody who was retired, throw any amount of money at them, John Mara, Steve Tish. And I'm not saying, oh, go fire Bobby Johnson. Look again, I'm not in that room, but I want an offensive line coach that has a long track record of developing young players. Cause right now we're just going to call a spade a spade. These young offensive linemen aren't developing as New York giants. And you got to ask yourself why? Nick, you nailed what's actually most important here. And what's most important here is the fastest way to fix this offensive line is not through the draft, is not through free agency. It's through the offensive line coach. And that's not a shot at Bobby Johnson. Nick and I have been very clear. The reason we don't take shots at Johnson, the reason you're not seeing us do all the tweets that all these other people are doing, like, fire him, fire him. 
is because we don't really know what he does is quite frankly, honestly, <laughs> and the impact he has on these developing offensive line. But one thing we do know is Mike Munchak, for example, who's a free agent right now, not coaching. He is on the West Coast, but he, I heard an interview where he said he's not. It didn't sound like he was sold on just staying on the West Coast. I know his daughters are out there, but he said he's, he loves football and he wants to coach again. He can't imagine his life without football. He's one of those pure football guys. What I know is these guys turn around offensive lines fast, dude. Mike Munchak has turned around offensive lines throughout his career. Bill Callahan has turned around offensive lines throughout his career. These are turnaround type offensive line coaches. Long track records, different styles of teaching, good Good, good results. And that is what the, fa the fastest way for me is keep putting it out into the ether. Make sure people who are covering, uh, who are within the Giants organization and on social media are seeing you talk about pay Munchak. Because guess what? If the Giants do throw the bag, quote unquote, on Mike Munchak, it doesn't count against the salary cap. It's a cheat yeah. code. All it counts against is John Mara's bank account, which he has plenty of money in there, one. And two, he's made it clear time after time again with his actions that he's not afraid to spend that money. He will hire and fire coaches despite them having guaranteed money left on their deal. He, he's paid, I think at this point, I said this the other day, he might be paying three coaches right now. I'm not sure what the full deal, I don't remember the Shermer details, and if he's still getting money off of that, it might have been a shorter deal. I know he's still paying Joe Judge right now, and he's paying Brian Dable as well. I think he's still paying Joe Judge right now, and paying Brian Dable as well, because those are all guaranteed deals. I know that Wink Barndale was made one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the NFL. I know that he, he does that type of stuff, so extend that. Go to the offensive line coach. Tell Brian Dable, look, and, and people always say, oh, I don't want Mara meddling. This is a good time to want Mara to meddle, by the way. You tell him, you tell Brian Dable, look, I know Bobby Johnson's your buddy from Buffalo. Hey, Joe, Shane, I know Bobby Johnson's your buddy from Buffalo. And there ain't no knock on him, but we need to get the goat in here. We need to get one of the true goats in here. Mike Munchak is one of the true goats. Um, one more. Do you have something to say before I answer the second part of that? No, one you final thing. I don't know if it's a one or two pick bus class at this point. Nick and I haven't done enough film study to have an opinion. I'll say this. There are three guys that stand out to me the most, and it's Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Marvin Harrison Jr. I think if the Giants have any of the top three picks at this current time, I'd want them to come away with them. I know people have mentioned Joe Alt. I don't want to go back to the discussion that Nick and I had years ago, which was Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase. And Nick and I, I believe both were on the Sewell side, which I still think remains to be determined because there were games that the Bengals simply couldn't move the ball this year without the when the O line was bad. But then again, that was Jamar also Chase. a very it was also a very specific example because Jamar yes. Chase and Joe Burrow had such a long track record together. Right, right, and good rapport together. But I'll say this. I haven't seen too much of Joe Alt, but from what I've read, he's not a generational offensive tackle prospect. He's not the next Joe Thomas. He's not the next Tony Baselli. Marvin Harrison is the generational wide receiver prospect. I haven't fully studied him. I studied him a lot last year, obviously watching Deontay Banks and things like that. I've seen a lot of cut-ups of him. I think he'll be the best wide receiver prospect to come out in the last decade when all is said and done. I think he's Best since Julio, you think? Probably the best since Julio. Different kind of prospect. I actually would prefer the Marvin Harrison style better, but Julio is just absolute physical freak and good at route running, good at everything. But like Marvin Harrison's body control in the air, dude, his size, his ability, his route running savvy, his hands. I mean, he just literally has it all besides maybe four, four speed. And I don't know what he'll test the combat. He might come even close to that. Who knows? But he's fast enough. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm, I'm kind of at. I, I would say it's more of a, of, there's definitely two. You know, Harrison and Caleb as generational goes. I don't know if May is generational. I haven't seen enough, but I know I'll say this, Nick, and you knew because I texted you all year last year about it because I bet UNC every week. I loved Drake May last year on film, uh, not on film, on broadcast. And we'll see when yeah. I get a chance to study the film.
yeah, I haven't seen the film yet, so I reserve my judgment on the draft class. I really dive into that probably this year in November because I know I'm excited to find. I've been thinking bad. about this for a while, Nick. I'm excited. We'll see where it goes. We'll see if the Giants can recover. I still think Giants are going to recover and get to like five and eleven potentially, Nick. Maybe six and or five and twelve. It would be now with a new seventeenth game or six and eleven. So I just think this is how it goes. But if they are in a position to draft a quarterback, I'm excited to finally get Nick Filato quarterback study because you have oh. not done any quarterback stuff since we joined this podcast. Rightfully so. The Giants have never really been in any serious contention for drafting a quarterback. But I just want to hear your thoughts on quarterbacks on film because I've only really heard your Daniel Jones thoughts as far as quarterback and whoever the Giants opponents have been on a week-to-week basis. I want to get the prospect stuff and I want to talk prospect quarterbacks with you. So Hopefully, not hopefully, I shouldn't say that, but maybe it's not the right word, but maybe <laughs> we'll get to the point this offseason where we can finally get some Nick Filato studies about quarterbacks. But let's get to this next one. I would love that. And John Fuller, thank you so much. He says, hi from the UK, fellas. He is at 2207JF on X. Yes, interaction galore. Thank you so much. Again, it's bedtime. So just wanted to wish you both <laughs> sweet dreams. Appreciate or, you, John. Or nightmares, given how the Giants are playing right now, John. And he said, I'll watch him full tomorrow. Love your work. Well, John, we really appreciate that. Thank you so much all the way from across the pond. Yeah, John, thanks so much for your donation. And obviously no question with it, but we do appreciate the donation. Just a reminder for those listening in now or tuning into the podcast, the way we're going to do these live mailbags is if you do have a super chat question and you donate to the pod and to our cause, we'll answer your question. We'll move it right to the top. Otherwise, we will then, uh, if, if not, defer to the other questions we've got in the mailbag. I will say this. We have six pages worth of questions, so it looks like this is going to be a mailbag part two at minimum, maybe three if we have time for it. And if not, we'll have to push some of those the next week. I do apologize for those of you whose questions we haven't answered. But just a reminder, we are uh, trying to, uh, you know, earn some money doing this and, and, and you know, make some money, I guess I would say, for the work we put in for time. Winners. So we do appreciate those who are contributing that, and that's via the Super Chat. So those questions will be moved to the top always. That's that's just how it is. Um, let's get to this next one, uh, Nick. Nico, thank you so much, Nico. You see this season in any way to still turn around if we win Sunday? As much as they have underperformed or overperformed last year, they are underperforming this year, in my opinion. I do agree. I think they are underperforming. This year, I don't think they're this bad, but one of the reasons why they're underperforming is these injuries. I mean, it's just a reality. Every team deals with injuries, but I think Andrew Thomas was a bedrock of the offensive line last year. We got him for a drive this year, realistically. He ended up hurting his hamstring on that stupid blocked field goal that ended up going back for a touchdown. So we really haven't experienced any Andrew Thomas, and then we lose Saquon Barkley in the second half of the Arizona game, and it wasn't just a regression to the mean. I think we are below the mean right now as New York Giants fans, and if the Giants were able to win on Sunday... Yeah, I think a lot of people would buy back in. And even if they lose, which is more than likely going to happen, say the Giants turn it around and they defeat Washington and then they defeat the Jets. And now you're sitting at three and five. I think a lot of people will start buying in a little bit more because you have some winnable games down the stretch. I think you have the Saints, right? You have the Green Bay Packers. There's a Vegas game that's winnable. Green Bay Packers, Vegas. It's just really unfortunate that you have Dallas again. Washington is no pushover. Any of the Eagles twice oh down the Oh my God. Have you seen how Jalen Carter's playing, Nick? Yeah, he's he's insane. We knew I almost happen. tweeted this last night. Somehow the NFL let the Eagles make a Super Bowl, win an NFC, and in the very next year get the best single best player coming out of college, the best prospect in the draft. It is insane to me how that could have happened in the NFL. A team makes the Super Bowl, then gets the best player in a draft class. Just, just sickening. It's it's sickening. But yes, I let think people answer. will, oh, yeah, will buy ahead. back Sorry. in, but no, you're good. Yeah, I just want to jump in, Nico, and say thank you so much for donating to us. And I will be doing this moving forward, Nick. 
anyone who donates and asks a question in here, I'll if you also sent in a mailbag question like Nico did, I'm also going to answer your questions from the mailbag. You just get unlimited questions for helping donate and support good, the show. Man. That's just how it goes. But to answer your question, yes, if they win somehow and upset the Bills, um, you know, maybe the Bills sleepwalk into this. Maybe coming back from London, they're on jet lag is bad, and that injuries on defense. Some blown they have injuries. They'll buy back in fast because that means the Giants can beat the Bill. I'm sorry, the Washington Red uh, Football Team. That the Commanders. That means they can beat the Jets. I just <laughs> never get it right because it's just a disgusting name, and it won't be their name for long. They're changing back. Commanders, the dumbest name I've ever heard. But the Jets, the Commanders, the Raiders, the the Packers. These are all winnable games for the Giants, without a doubt, in my opinion. If they beat the Bills and prove that they're back and they're starting to play better football, because you're right, they are underperforming this year as much as they overperformed last year. They are underperforming this year, but. But, Nico, what worries me is the fact that Dan Duggan today had to literally buy Twitter Blue just to list <laughs> all the Giants' injuries from the yeah. injury report today because it's so long. And I looked at it, man. It's insane. Andrew Thomas, think of the how unlucky the season's been. They On the drop of a dime, if they don't have that field goal block, they execute a normal, simple field goal play, as it should be. Andrew Thomas never gets hurt, and the whole season is different. He is their best player. I think it's obvious this year. Saquon Barkley may not be their best player, but... As of now, and not somebody you maybe want to invest in long-term due to the injuries and the position he plays, but as of now, he tilts how defenses can play you. He allows you to go under center, run and play action, take shots off play action. No one is, seems to be caring otherwise, and the Giants are abandoning it without him in the game. So you got that going for you. He's still injured. He might play, he might not, as he's not practicing. The entire state of the offensive line, besides Andrew Thomas, not looking good from an injury standpoint. And obviously there are a few others that I, that I probably didn't mention. That's how long the injury list is. So the injuries scare me here, Nico, but let me get to your next question. He said, I've heard you guys talk so much about food. I'm a Swiss living in the Italian speaking part of Switzerland. And for me, there's nothing better than traditional Italian lasagna. What's your take on this dish in the United States? And also who's more likely to be traded Paris Campbell or Xavier McKinney. So I'll let you go first on those two questions, Nick. Who's more likely to be traded? I would say Paris Campbell, because I think that was always a rental, whereas the Giants may look into bringing back Xavier McKinney. And Paris Campbell's snaps was reduced significantly since Wondell Robinson has returned to full health. I think Paris Campbell only played like maybe 18 snaps or something along those lines. So I would say it's Paris Campbell, but I wouldn't rule out Xavier McKinney getting traded either if the Giants continue to suck and they do fire sale and prepare for the future. In terms regarding the, uh, the Italian speaking or the Italian lasagna, Look, my mom used to make lasagna all the time, and she would lie to us all the time and say that she made the sauce and that mm -hmm. she made the uh, the pasta part of it. Because that's what my great grandmother used to do when I was a kid. I'd go to my great grandma. She'd buy packaged jar stuff. Yeah, she would. Yeah, no, my great grandma. She would. She would spend all Sunday making the entire thing. I remember, like, she lived to be like that's 102. Awesome. So I was going over her house as a kid, and we would have these that's huge so Italian awesome. dinners, man, full of like authentic Italian lasagna. She was, you know, or I think she was born in America. Like she moved here, or she was born here, but uh, her parents were all born in the old country. So I loved you know, lasagna growing up, but no, my mom was buying that shit. So I don't know if it was authentic Italian. <laughs> yeah. Nico, it's a good question. I do really like lasagna. I don't think I eat it often at all for some reason, because I love it. Whenever I have it, I like the meat version of lasagna. I even like the vegetarian version with just the ricotta and the salt and a good homemade sauce and good homemade lasagna noodles. So it is a great dish. I just, for some reason, don't have it a lot. My friend, shout out Scott Yanowski, Shari Degenjan, they went to a place in New York City that apparently has the greatest lasagna in the world, and they said it lives up to the hype. So place I'll eventually try to try at some point. Um, but yeah, uh, lasagna definitely on my list for sure. As far as for the other part of your question, 
I'll actually go with the opposite of Nick. I'll go with McKinney's more likely to be traded just because I don't really think anyone's going to offer anything for Paris Campbell, to be Good completely point. honest. Yeah. yeah. All, All right, right Brian Nash. Brian Nash, thank you so much for the donation. He says, I know Jones' arm strength isn't as bad as maybe in the pre-draft process how it was discussed in the pre-draft process. But so you think maybe it's not good enough to make those field side throws, the deep routes when rolling out. I don't know if it's not good enough, Brian, but the Giants aren't asking him to do it. They didn't ask him to do it last year when the offensive line was playing a lot better. So there's something there. Because I've seen Daniel Jones make NFL-worthy throws where I'm like, he can make all the throws. Is he Josh Allen? No. But you don't have to be to make all the NFL throws. Josh Allen is a complete alien out there. And you saw Brian Dable today just gushing about Josh Allen to the point where it got a little awkward. I was like, man, you really do love yourself. Some Josh Allen and Brian Dable. To be fair, though, like he said that, and I watched the tape of Jags Bills. Oh, I don't know if you God. saw that. I mean, the there Gabriel was Davis throw? Ugh. The backside dig? No, they, well, different no I'm talking about, talking about the down, most simple shit. Like I'm talking about they're down by two touchdowns and it was cover two and he rolled out from the far hash. He could have picked up oh, like yeah, 15 yards with his leg. Yeah, he could have ran that. Yep. And instead he just fires a dart over top of the flat defender who dropped to depth underneath Gabriel Davis and right before the safety got in and Davis was able to pluck it out of the air and get both his feet down. I'm like, that's just an insane throw. I was thinking of something even just in some ways more basic. Nick, at one point in the game, he snapped the football. Josh Allen looked directly to his left. The pocket was starting to collapse on him. He calmly snaps back and throws the backside dig. We talked about this a lot in the past on the podcast. We don't, we don't, Daniel Jones doesn't throw backside digs. Daniel Jones doesn't really throw to the backside in general at all. He only really looks to the play side and throws there. But like, how many quarterbacks do you even see attempt backside digs, dude? This not only was an attempt, this was a throw right into the window. And you, I watched every single defender as his eyes were, as Josh Allen's eyes were the le- on the, le- the left side the entire time. I watched how it screwed up the in- the second level defender, and I watched how it screwed up the defensive back. The two people who could have got into the space where he eventually threw the dig backside dig to, to Davis to break it up. His eyes alone manipulated them to the point where they never had a chance. He snaps his shoulder back, rips it, and it's just like, that's what elite quarterback play looks like. And to answer yeah. your question, though, Brian Nash, actually, you go first, Nick, because we, we did a little diatribe there on on, uh, <laughs> on on Josh Allen. It's fun to watch good quarterback play, though. Oh, it's great to watch good quarterback play. But I think he has the arm strength to do it. It's not elite arm strength, but he has the arm strength to do it. But I believe you have to just really understand and throw with anticipation and know exactly when you're releasing the football, when you're going to rip it from the far hash all the way outside the numbers towards the sideline. And Daniel Jones, that's probably his weakest area as a quarterback, especially past 15 yards. And that's just is what it is. I mean, we have what, how many different systems of tape watching Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, people like, Oh, he threw it and he aired it out a bunch in Pat Shermer system. One-on-one, a lot of the times to the boundary side, deep. all half field, high, low reads. It, it's uh, so that's one, Brian, that's one issue that I think he has to overcome is just anticipatory throwing. And it's something I just feel like we're saying it, we're beating a dead horse, but it's a huge part of maximizing your quarterback play, maximizing the talent that you have. And I just don't think Daniel Jones is maximizing the talent that he has because of that hesitancy. And, and, and I'll get into your question in a second. Brian, thank you so much for your donation and for your question. These, to me, are the best types of questions. This is very in-depth, yeah. gets in the X and the nose of it. But two things on that front. One of the biggest disconnects with Daniel Jones among Giants fans is those who believe that you can't really judge him at all until he gets a better offensive line play. And those who are willing to entertain the idea that if he even had the offensive line play, we still be able to do the things that Nick just talked about. Throw with anticipation, make these more difficult field side throws, the whole shots, the backside digs. 
The answer to that question, none of you can say with any certainty is yes. You can definitely say with certainty that he need, he'd be better with an offensive line. You just can't say with certainty that he would be able to do all those things. And if you can't do all those things, you're never going to have consistency in a passing game. Now to answer your question, Brian, I'll say this as far, I think there's, there's, there might, there's, there might be a different answer for both parts. I want to start with the first part about making field side throws. And I think Nick nailed this and a good example to think about, in my opinion, would be Philip Rivers, right? Philip Rivers and Chad Pennington's another good example. Both of those two quarterbacks had worse arm talent and strength than Daniel Jones. And yet they made a lot of throws to the field side. You know, these different hole shots against zone beat coverages in ways Daniel Jones never does on tape because of what Nick said, they threw with such good anticipation. If you watch the breakdown by, like I said earlier, JT Sullivan O'Sullivan of Brock Purdy and what he calls a masterclass level of anticipatory throwing right now from Brock Purdy, you'll see good examples of Brock Purdy's anticipation where these receivers are not even anywhere close to out of their breaks. And he's already in his throwing motion. He's already getting, you know, in the position to throw the football before the receivers out of the breaks. We don't see that often on Jones's tape. We didn't see it last year either when the offensive line play was not as bad as it was this year. And so, you can be a better thrower to the field side without having great arm talent. I think Rivers and Pennington are great examples. There's plenty throughout NFL history, but you need to have elite anticipatory throwing and elite anticipate anticipation. That's how you do it. Now, as far as the deep routes when rolling out, that's the one I'm a little more open to just considering other maybe avenues there, Nick, because I do wonder maybe if the reason his eyes are always to the sticks is that he doesn't trust his ability to beat the safety or to beat the coverage downfield. And those are good examples of like when you have the Josh Allen arm and when you have the Justin Herbert arm, you can try to make those throws and you're, and they're less risky because your arm's going to cut through the space. When Jones's pass has never really cut through except for the, the digs, the dig routes, not the backside digs, the front side digs. He can cut that ball. He throws that with good drive. All his other throws aren't great, aren't, aren't at least Herbert Allen level of drive. So maybe he is right to not trust his arm to try to make those throws. I don't know. Your I think it's a that. confidence thing, too, because yes. last year yeah. we applauded because from 2021 to 2022, we felt like Daniel Jones took a step in the right direction, throwing on the run, extending plays, stepping up in the pocket, getting horizontal, keeping his eyes downfield and firing the football this season. Now that he has been battered and week one was a 40 to nothing loss against the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. We haven't seen him keep his eyes downfield. We've seen him be more erratic. We've seen him bail on pockets. And that confidence for Daniel Jones is very low. After it was really high last year, and we saw a better play against worse defenses. So, you know, you got to keep context in Colts and the Minnesota Vikings. So maybe confidence plays into that in terms of throwing deep while rolling out. One second, Nick. I want to I want to tackle out one thing. Get to the next question if you don't mind. I want to I want to get one more tweet out there just for people last minute who might see this who want to join us live. D Kit, again, thank you so much. If you were the agent for Saquon or Daniel Jones, would you encourage them to play behind this offensive line or wait until Andrew Thomas, John Michael Schmitz get back and Pew gets acclimated? Look, I'm not an agent, so I have uh, really no uh, understanding of how they would operate. I'm imagining they would be in these players year. I know they're both Saquon and DJ incredible competitors, but I wouldn't necessarily specifically with Saquon Barkley, who has not been paid. I wouldn't want him to play behind this offensive line, but I don't know if that's going to keep Saquon off the football field either being the competitor that he is. But if I'm his agent, I don't think it does him any justice playing behind a really crappy offensive line where he might average what 3.9, four yards per carry. And the stats won't be there for when he can get paid by either the Giants or another football team. 
TK, thank you for continued donations. You really help support our show and our cause. And you're always watching every episode. And just a reminder for those joining late or you know, or or uh, just joining for the first time. Uh, if you want to get your question answered, just please use the super chat function. Help help support the show, donate the show. We're gonna move you up the list. I've been blown away by how many questions we already had. We literally haven't even gotten to any of our mailbag questions that were sent in yet because all these people have donated and supported the show. And, you know, we have to put those people first. That's just the reality of the situation. And I think everyone will hopefully understand that. Now to answer your question, DKit, you said put myself in the mind of an agent and in this position of an agent. And if I'm going to do that, I'm 100% going to tell Saquon Barkley, do not play until you're fully healthy and there's no risk of re-injury because this offensive line sucks. This team sucks. You're a free agent after this year. They didn't extend you. They're probably not going to extend you. Why the hell would you come back? Now, Saquon Barkley is going to probably tell his agent, I love the game. I love my teammates. I love the Giants. I want to come back, and I'm going to come back fast. And I don't like sitting out and watching these football games. I hate being on the sideline every week, watching Daniel Jones go into a blue tent while crazy, rabid Giants fans are like, you suck, Daniel Jones, blah, 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 and right at him as he's injured takes a huge hit to the neck and these lunatics are are coming at this this human being in the blue medical tent please so if I'm you sure listen it's... if you listen to our show never do something that idiotic no, that's agreed. just terrible man don't be that person and quite frankly we don't care if we lose you if you are that kind of person just gonna be honest about that I, um now would you encourage them to play behind this now as far as daniel jones goes daniel jones is such an interesting spot in situation right now Nick. yes especially with given what he said on the k adams show where he said, at this point, it's just a matter of, I don't really know, I can't really tell what's going to happen, but any hit could be a bad hit, given the state of my injury to my neck. And it's like the one that he's like, I'm not concerned with how I'm going to throw the football. I'm not concerned with this. I'm not concerned with that. I am concerned with what happens when I get hit. Well, guess what, Daniel Jones? Or guess what, any fan? Daniel Jones gets hit every game an insane amount of times. He gets tons of sacks. He gets tons of quarterback hits pressures that may not lead to hits but come close he runs with the football with no regard tries to get every first down doesn't throw the football away anymore tries to scramble and i thought you made a great point the other day nick talking about how teams have eliminated allowing him to take the b gap as a runner which means yes that he's been forced to flush right or left which kills any chance of of, of really getting a free run um and that's going to lead to more hits it's a combination of twists the giants protection yeah. won't pick it up and daniel jones won't take advantage of your defense with his legs by stepping up in the b gap which was very commonplace last year in this offense right so it's a good question for daniel jones and i think it's more a question for like daniel jones and his family at this point like right do you put yourself on the line right now and i don't even know like it could be a situation where it's not like i don't know if it heals i know he had neck surgery after his first neck injury back in what 2021 he did have a surgery it was like a fusion surgery he says it's not the same injury there's a lot of details we don't know on this he had an mri early this week and we've had no reports from the mri just think about what that says and what that might mean too and you're going so, up against a team that has the most sacks in the nfl and blitzes at the lowest Great. Oof. I know they're injured, but they blitz like 12%. Giants, no. for reference, blitz like 38%. There's such a disparity, and yet they team. get the most sacks out of anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> as far as what you said, though, too, like, to answer your question, just one more thing on this, D-Kit. Like, wait until AT Andrew Thomas gets back. I'm starting to get concerned. Yes. That may not come for a long time. He's not even close to being able to practice this week. He's almost definitely ruled out if he's not even close to being able to practice on a Wednesday. If he's not even close to being able to practice this week on a Wednesday, who knows if he'll be ready next week on a Sunday for 10 days from now. 
This is a serious, serious issue. I don't want to speculate, but I'm sure as hell things didn't get better by him trotting through that blowout loss to the Cowboys in week one. And I know you got to fight. It's week one, but that game was so over at 20 to nothing. I don't give a F that it was only three scores. The Giants were uncompetitive, showing no signs of finding any way to compete in that football game. And I know he pushed hard to come back in, but at some point, like, this is your most important player, your most valuable player on the offense and maybe the team considering and maybe you could argue that Dexter Lawrence is more valuable and more important or more valuable and a better player. He's not more important because the downgrade from Dexter Lawrence to Nacho, you know, Nacho or whatever is not the same as Andrew Thomas to Josh Azudu. That's the thing. So yeah, it's bad news there. Brahin. Thank you so much. I hope I said that correctly. O'Sullivan JT O'Sullivan's breakdown of Purdy versus Cowboys was incredible. Great feel anticipation. He was the last pick in the draft. Do you trust Dable and Shane to find a quarterback that late in the draft? No, no, I don't. Um, I don't trust anybody to find a quarterback that late in the draft. I appreciate the question, Brian. I think, look, this is an outlier, right? The 49ers may have done it with Purdy. It's way too early to say they have for sure. He's playing amazing football, but the sample size isn't large right now. The Patriots did it with Tom Brady. Outside of that, there's not that many examples of this. I would argue Sam Howells looked unbelievable for a fifth round pick, but he hasn't looked like the surefire thing yet. That is a guarantee. I think you brought up some great points though, as to why Brock Purdy is working. And I'm one other thing that I always see in these breakdowns from O'Sullivan to uh, Kirk Ben, Ben Kurt or Ben Kirk, Ben Kurt. I think yeah, Ben Kurt. With ben Kurt. And this is something, you know, I consider Nick, but I don't know if I put enough weight into it. And I even thought about bringing it up earlier when we were discussing the most important traits for quarterback play. But I just love the way Brock Purdy's base and feet look when he catches a snap from shotgun or when he play action hits his back foot to, to, to throw a football pass. His base is really narrow. His feet are really dug into the, And this is something J.T. O'Sullivan always talks about. His feet and his heels are really dug into the ground for a great foundation. There's so little wasted movement within the pocket. Watch like every other quarterback almost and watch how much wasted movement they have in the pocket and watch how erratic their feet can be at times. By him keeping that narrow base good footwork, no wasted movement. It allows him, in my opinion, to throw from a balanced base more often than not and drive the football from his core. So I think that's something to look at it too as well. Um, and these are all things to scout, but to answer your question, it's, it's, you can't, we can't expect the giants to hit on a seventh round quarterback. No, yeah, that's just an absolute outlier. And Purdy also does just an excellent job keeping that offense in structure, knowing exactly where to go with the football and throwing with anticipation, he, of course, but based on what he's seeing, in front of him. He just is very, very cerebrally enhanced quarterback. Well, by the way, and by the way, Nick, one more thing on that. Did you see the play he made to Kittle out of structure this week? It's like this guy can also make plays out of structure. The play where he was forced from the pocket, rolls to his right, the play breaks down, the timing was completely off. He throws the touchdown to Kittle where he leads. Yeah, he stepped up, stepped up into the pocket. Yeah, he felt the right. pocket out, understood pocket he had out. time, didn't run, knew where Kittle would be. Kittle got behind. Yeah, that he is, he's, he's, a, he's a good quarterback. I don't so understand. Like, I, th- I think it's like a dumb, co- like, I understand it, but the conversation, like, oh, he's just a system guy. It's just like lazy. It's just lazy. Okay. Cause like he's had plenty of system guys. 
And I understand what yes. you're trying to say, but now you're just removing what he's doing so well within that system, which you need talent. I can't step into Kyle Shanahan's system yeah, and start throwing <laughs> touchdown passes. You need to know what you're doing. So let's give the kid his credit. Like, I feel right. like people shit on Brock Purdy. The guy was Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last pick in the draft. What he's doing right now is crazy. I understand the system helps him out, but guess what? He is seizing that opportunity. He's better than any other quarterback that has operated in that system. Let's give the guy the credit yes. that's due. Holy crap, man. I think it's ridiculous, dude. It is. Anyways. And Sorry, from an efficiency standpoint, he's been as good as Matt Bryant, Matt Ryan was in 2016 during his MVP season with Kyle Shanahan, just to be clear. Michael, buy a hot tub out in Mesa, you know, on the other side of the valley, just for yeah. this, bro. Shit. <laughs> a hot tub in Arizona is really odd, by the way. I, mean, I don't, I don't yeah, really understand. Who would want but, that? Yeah, right. David, thank you so much. Yes. Do you think it's concerning that the Giants aren't being upfront about DJ? Yeah, we just, we, we just talked about this. Concerning about Giants not being upfront about DJ's neck injury, despite Jones saying the injury is not a long-term issue. I do find it concerning because it's just a nebulous situation right now. We really don't know. We're just speculating. Right. And there is a track record of Daniel Jones suffering neck injuries in the past. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, in 2021, Dan, when he had the neck injury against the Philadelphia Eagles, we were like, oh, it's going to be like a week two weeks and then it was like no he's just shut down and then like a week later or a couple days later it's like no he's done for the season let's take him out it's mike glennon time we're like right uh, oh crap that sucks so yeah i'm a little bit uh i'm a little bit concerned i would say great question david r thank you so much for donating to our cause as well to help support us and nick answered this best given the track record we have with that 2021 season where we weren't given a lot of information injury turned out to be worse than expected as nick just broke down I am definitely concerned given that track record. I'm concerned given the nature of the injury. It's a neck injury. If you get hit, it could be really bad for him. I think this is kind of what par for the course for the Giants. They don't give out a lot of injury information in general. But when it comes to the quarterback, we obviously want to know. And it is very concerning right now. We'll have to see what happens from that standpoint. But I don't know. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. So we have Leonard Zinnard like this. Should we trade Williams and Adoree for draft picks? I think if the Giants continue to lose, yes. I think you should get as much as you can from these veterans who aren't going to be in your long-term plans. Start to rebuild, focus to rebuild. I'm sure the draft, the NFL scouts are getting ready for the draft and um, look forward to the future. Yeah, great name, Leonard Zinner. Leonard Skinner, one of the most underrated rock bands of all time. Some of just the best songs, I think, in rock history come from that band. Short-lived, they like some of the greats from their time in Southern rock. Uh, had I think it was a plane crash, some just devastating. Yeah. Lost a lot of band members in that. Obviously, nothing more devastating in my mind than Dwayne Allman's motorcycle crash. That the greatest guitarist in the history of life, in in history of the world, Dwayne Allman, the greatest slide guitarist for sure. I would consider him the greatest guitarist of all time. Unfortunately, passed during that. I don't think the Allman brothers were ever the same, though they still had some great albums. I mean, Eda Peach was without him, and that was fire stuff. But let's get back to the Giants here. I would like them to go ahead and be sellers at the deadline if they drop to one and six yeah. or one and five. And that would mean the players you mentioned and more. Matt, thank you so much. Matt Peliquin. I think I nailed that. He says, do the Giants, if the Giants have the first overall pick, do they take a quarterback? Yes, they do. They take more than likely Caleb Williams. I haven't watched the all 22, but I'm comfortable saying that right now. Yeah, same. In this draft class, you have Caleb Williams, one of the best prospects to come out since Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck, the best probably since then. So you don't hesitate. You take him and you trade Daniel Jones or you keep Daniel Jones to go ahead and develop him. David Quitman, thank you so much. He said he's been listening since the Hal Hunter inside zone days. Oh, those were some dark days, David. Thank you so much for your support. Never thought it would get this dark again so fast. Got to hang up and listen to put the kids to bed, but thanks 
for everything from me and my dog, Eli. David, you're not here anymore because you're putting the kids to bed, but get back to me. Let me know what type of dog you have. What type of dog is Eli? If that's a bulldog, ooh, that's a great dog to have for Mr. Eli, named after the one great Eli Manning. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your support so much, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Equipment. And by the way, guess what? I didn't think it could get worse than the Hal Hunter days, Nick, but are we entering a time of offensive line play that's somehow worse than the Hal Hunter days? I think the answer is yes, and I don't even know if an argument can be made that Hal Hunter was worse. That's how sad it is. It's different. It's yeah, different. It so is. I'll explain why real quick. I know we're, we're crunched for time right now. Hal Hunter. Well, we got another 10 minutes. Hal Hunter was just inside zone. There was really not a lot of diversity in the rushing attack. Yes. Bobby Johnson diversifies his rushing approach, and I think he doesn't get due credit for that. Right now, this is mostly because of injury, whereas Hal Hunter, I think it was a little bit more ineptitude, a little bit more of a rigid approach to calling offensive lines and protections and things of that nature. Bobby Johnson, look, you may love him. You may hate him. He's, he's not, he doesn't have the best situation right now. And some blame deserves to go to Brian Dable and Joe Shane because of that, because the Giants... We're like, hey, Ben Bredesen, you can play center. Fine. Yeah, we'll we'll just we'll rely on that. I know you got to set protections. You're not really used to do that. We'll take that. Oh, Josh Azudu, you're athletic enough to play left tackle. That you have a guard playing center, you have a guard playing tackle. That's that's a front office issue. All right. And I know Bobby Johnson isn't doing the best with what he has right now, but he's not in the best situation either. So I'm not gonna sure. say it's as bad as Hal Hunter. That's fair. That's a good take, Nick. BD, we all love big dash nose. Good show, fellas. Thank you for the donation, my man. You know, appreciate love you interacting. The show. Love interacting with him. Twitter, great follow. Anybody go great, and follow great Big Twitter. Dash Nose. All right, Dylan says, no question here, but just want to say I appreciate you guys and the content. You guys have been part of my weekly routine for two years now. Love it. Dylan, Dylan Manning 69. Love it. Thank you so much for the donation, great. for the kind words, and for the support. Yeah, thank you so much, Dylan, for supporting the show. All right, I read Leonard's, and now we got Grim Silo. I don't see five and 12. Don't think Jones plays the next two to three games, which likely means L's. At that point, we are one and six or one and seven. And then the fire sale begins. We then lose starters. Offensive line will stay bad. Four and 13 max. Oof. The Giants well, go four and 13. We're looking at top three. We're looking yeah. at some crazy stuff. Yeah. And thank you, Grim Silo, for donating. Um, really appreciate that. And yes, I think Grim, my prediction earlier of saying, I think the Giants can get to five and would it be, I think it'd be five and trying to do the 17 game schedule math in my head, five and 12 or six and 11 was based on them not selling Adoree, not selling Leonard, not selling Saquon, not selling any of their impending free agents, Xavier McKinney. If they do go full fire sale mode at one and six and one and seven, which by the way, I'm not afraid to say to you guys or to Nick is the best move for this franchise. If they go to one and six, one and seven, don't do Dave. And by don't do Dave, I mean, don't do what Dave Gettleman did, which was fall to two and six, and then trade for an impending free agent, Leonard Williams. Don't be buyers in a one and six or two and six season. Jeez. Only a total asshole would do that. Like Dave Gettleman did, but it doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to be sellers either. Some people just sit pat and don't want to cr crush the locker room or the field of the team that much. Nick, try to fight your way towards as many wins as you can. I think it's okay to do. And I get them that it's not just like Madden where you could just be like, you're a seller, you're a buyer. But I do think long-term it is best to just be sellers. If you're not planning to re-sign these guys after the season. And then if they do sell those guys, Nick, they will 
413 and Max is correct. Like if all those starters go and they have a lot of starters that are important to the team right now between Leonard Williams, Xavier McKinney, you can say Dory Jackson as well. Like imagine if they traded all of those guys and Saquon Barkley, they probably won't struggle to win one or two games the rest of the year, let alone get to four. So, so yes, I, I do think if they do become sellers, they will be, you know, a two to three to four win team. D kit comes back and he says, and Dan, this is a personal shot at you. Nick. <laughs> I have a Belgian mall that growls every time Dan rants. Beautiful dog, by the way, I'm sure. He listens. He's listening now and staring at the screen at Dan. He's a monster. And I'm not sure if the monster <laughs> quote is for you, Dan, or for the Belgian mall. It's for the Belgian mall, I hope. But if not, I understand as well. Those rants aren't heated and they're most of the time just, you know, I can't help myself. It's a natural reaction. Have you ever seen the Arrested Development episode with Martin Short and uh, Uncle, what was his name? Uncle, it's like a two or two episode arc in, in Arrested. Uncle something. It's like their uncle that comes up and he's a, he's a paraplegic, but he has a guy named, uh, fuck, what's this guy's name? Shoot Dragon. And he just carries him around. And he like talks to him. You know the episode I'm talking about? And he shoots Dude, shoot I've me, been... Dragon. And he throws Martin Short into the, into the, into the people. And he shakes him up. And then Martin Short just starts spitting up. Oh, you haven't seen it. Okay. He starts spitting up. He's like, no, no, no. Don't worry about that. It's just a natural reaction the body has. Just, it's so good. <laughs> but um, yeah, the rants are a natural reaction my body has to bad Giants football and bad Giants coaching and bad things that have happened to this franchise. So, you know, I understand why your Belgian mall would growl at that. We got a question from Albie real quick. I'm actually excited to start looking toward the draft already. Would you okay. guys consider doing a college football episode once a week, looking at the upcoming games for that weekend and pointing out potential prospects to keep an eye on from a Giants perspective? Albie, I would absolutely love to do that. But honestly, I don't have the time covering the New York Giants for Big Blue View for this podcast, helping out Patricia Trainer with some things. I just don't really have any time to, to delve deep as deep as I would want to into college football, it would be a perfunctory action for me. And I just, I just don't think um, I can pull that off. That's why I wait and I give it my all once draft season rolls around or once the giants are uncompetitive, which is fastly approaching. Sadly, it's a great idea. And it's something that we could consider to do earlier. I would say it's probably not going to happen soon because of what Nick just described. And my schedule is equally as difficult to find time for that. But it's something to consider because I do think it would do good numbers, Nick. And I think people would be very interested. I hate to say it, but I think at some point people are going to be more interested in that than some of the film reviews if the team continues to play oh, this bad. But yeah. Damn. We got this one too, man. What quarterback, this is from the Couch GM, what quarterback, dead or alive, active or retired, do you think could legitimately succeed in this current offensive situation? I think it would be difficult because of the state of the offensive line. But look, if you had a quarterback with a huge arm. If you had Tom Brady who could do certain things with his mind, it would enhance and mask the absolute shit show that the Giants have up front. It's just, it is what it is. If you had Patrick Mahomes, even the way he evades and the way he extends plays. And if you had some, a quarterback with a huge arm who does take risks, even if it's not, if it, even if it's not as readily available because the offensive line is bad, but when the offensive line can hold up and they are in six or seven man protections. You throw the football 50, 60 yards down the field. That defense is going to lighten up on you a little bit. Right. And then you could start dinking and dunking. So there are quarterbacks who would have more success than what we're seeing right now, but could a quarterback win a Super Bowl behind this current state of the offensive line? I don't think so. Yeah. I think that's, that's the best way to describe it. A lot of quarterbacks would have more success right now than Daniel Jones would, if we're being honest with the situation from the mere fact of, look, if you put Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, the really good guys in this team right now, Guess what? 
Teams are not going to know, are no longer going to be playing every single player around the line of scrimmage. One high safety who's not even high. He's basically right 20 yards in the box, 15 yards in the box. They're not going to be using trap coverages on the field side. They're not going to be bailing corners to go to the middle half, middle, you know, middle of the field on, 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 on freaking, you know, coverages, but just leaving the field side open. Like that's because you can't afford to do that against those quarterbacks. They'll beat the offensive line. We've always made this clear. And this is true of football. Uh, the best, and, and I've seen this on Twitter, and this doesn't apply to the Giants situation, so please don't take this as a shot at Daniel Jones. Please, God, don't take this as a shot at Daniel Jones. But the best quarterbacks negate the impact of the offensive line. That's the simple truth of it. They throw the anticipation, they get the ball out of their hands, and they beat coverages by throwing the ball quickly with anticipation. That beats an O-line. There's been enough snaps I've seen on tape where good quarterbacks could beat the O-line, especially when defenses are forced to play too high, which every safety would do, every team would do if we had Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert right now. No one's playing the way, like the reason they play those covers isn't they look at the Giants offensive line and be like, we can do this because the Giants off the line. They look at the O-line, they look at the quarterback, and they look at the tape. The tape shows that they're not taking these chances, the Giants. They're not throwing these passes for whatever reason. So why would you play these areas of the field? Guess what? If, If Mahomes or any of those guys are on the field, they would be throwing those passes. Exactly. Make the Giants prove that they will exploit certain areas of the field that you're leaving vulnerable. And even last year, the Giants weren't proving it. The Giants were finding other ways to win football games and defensive coordinators have caught up, unfortunately. All right, we'll throw it at we'll end it there unless there are any other questions from the uh, donations, Nick. I don't know if you saw any other super chats. If there's a couple more. We can get that. Uh, otherwise, if that's it for the super chats. That is it, it for the that is okay. it for the super chats. So I'm going to say this. I said earlier in the show we would get to the super chats first and then get to all your questions that you sent in. I did not expect to get this many super chats. So I'm blown away by you guys' generosity, you so by how much you're helping us, you know, by just g- donating to us that helps us grow and that helps us do this show. So thank you so much for the generosity. I didn't expect to get that many to the point where we couldn't even get to many of or any of the mailbag questions, but what we'll do is the next one we'll do these won't be live. Or maybe it will be. We'll figure that out after, Nick. But the next one of these, we're going to get to all the questions you guys sent in. But I will say this. We probably will start to do more of these live weekly shows. If people enjoyed this, um, where you can, you know, get your super chat questions in and help and, you know, view it as like a paid, uh, as like a donation to, to our cause, or just if you want to get your question answered first type of thing, but thank you so much for everyone who did answer those. And I hope, you know, everyone enjoyed listening to show the same, uh, despite, you know, maybe not getting all your questions answered. We will do another mailbag before this week ends to get to as many of those questions as we can. We had six pages worth. I don't know if we'll get all six pages done. We're going to get as many as we can. Thank you so much for listening to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. I hope you have a great rest of your night and the rest of your weekend. We have a fun show coming tomorrow in my mind. It's an X's and O's tape-based show with two people who cover the bills and follow the tape and watch the tape. We'll be asking a lot of questions about the matchup, also 30,000-foot few questions. I want to know about someone like Osiris Torrance. How does he look so far? Because maybe he was someone the Giants should have considered. I don't know. Let's find that out. And there's other questions as well with regards to the Giants and the bills and the tape. That I can't wait to get answered. So keep it locked and loaded. That's a preview pod for the Bills game with X and O's content coming. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.